Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Would anyone here today consider yourself being someone who has high expectations? Another term is high maintenance, but we won't use that term. You have high expectations. Anyone have children who have high expectations? Maybe you're married to somebody who has high expectations. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but we know who you are. No, I'm kidding. Probably on the job, there are people who you've identified that maybe have some high expectations. And man, when people who have high expectations don't get their expectations met, things go south quickly. And it's wonderful to have expectations, and I, I think we should. We, some people have really high expectations around their birthday. And I'm talking about adults who have these really high expectations, uh, the world stops. They can't do anything that day. It's their birthday. Or Christmas, high expectations for Christmas. The NFL season kicked off, and that always comes with great expectation. Unless you're a Bengals fan or a Browns fan, you've just learned to lower your expectations, and you just deal with whatever comes your way. But I think we've all probably had scenarios in our life where we've had expectations not be met. I think that most of our frustrations in life can be boiled down simply to unmet expectations, whether it's in relationship or an experience that you're going through when we have something that's unmet, it creates a lot of frustration and difficulty in our life. We expect something and we don't get it. They were supposed to, but they didn't. It was agreed upon, but it didn't happen. And when those kind of scenarios play in our life, it can create a lot of difficulty and frustration. And this morning I want to speak on the subject, failed expectations. Failed expectations. Let me begin by telling you that it is possible for God not to meet your expectations. It's possible. And if that is you, you are not alone. The Bible is full of individuals who have had failed expectations when it came to God. Think of the years of failed expectations experienced by Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and Elizabeth month after month. Year after year, they saw the evidence of their childlessness and no doubt were grieved by 
what God didn't do. Job had good reason to be disappointed too, both in people and by God. The loss of dreams, relatives, hopes, and strength. Elijah, the prophet, expected the great evidence of God's power on Mount Carmel. He expected that experience to bring revival to the children of Israel. Instead, it only brought a price on his head. He was so disappointed by it that he asked to die. Failed expectations among God's people certainly weren't limited to the Old Testament. Jesus disappointed a few people in his life. One, when Jesus didn't show up at Lazarus's house, they said, had you been here, our brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. He did not meet their expectation. It was Jesus whose closest disciples also felt this sense of disappointment, no doubt, when they were following him and knew that he was the Messiah and called him the Messiah and believed in him only to find him nailed to a cross and buried in a tomb. And the, the oppression from the Romans that they thought Jesus was going to eliminate was pressing on them again. And no doubt their expectation of God was not met. And instead, he was held as a criminal and that Roman oppression continued. The early church faced great obstacle and they no doubt had some expectations that weren't met when Jesus died, buried, and was rose again. He met with 500 people as he ascended into heaven and he told them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you receive the power from on high. 500 people stood there and watched him ascend into heaven. But the scripture would tell us that only 120 in the upper room received the promise of the Father. There were 380 people who, for whatever reason, their expectation was not met. They, they, that the promise maybe didn't come soon enough. It, it wasn't what he prescribed or what they thought it was. It would be Stephen in the early church, that great leader in the early church who would preach the gospel and ultimately he would be stoned. I do not believe that that was an expected result that they were okay with or that they thought uh, would happen, but somehow it happened and they had to deal with these failed expectations. It would be Paul that would write to the early church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonica 4, verse 13, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died, he rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Why would Paul comfort them with these words? Why would Paul address this need to uh, understand when things would happen? Because those in the early church were facing some failed expectations. They had expected God to come back sooner than he did. There were those who were telling him, telling them that they that he had already come back, but Paul said, don't be ignorant. Don't, don't be ignorant of this, lest you sorrow as others there's sorrow with no hope. Because sometimes in life and in the Christian walk, things don't meet our expectation. And I've talked to enough people in my ministry, people of faith over the years who have had failed expectations. They have been disappointed by people and people in the church, and they have been disappointed by God. Their expectation of how God would work in their life was not met. Some people have felt disappointment because of physical suffering, others by financial loss, and some because of relationships that were splintered. I had a recent conversation with somebody who was angry with God because of a tragedy and death that took place in their life. Their expectation of God was not met. He, they had expected someone or God to do certain things and to provide certain things. And for whatever reason, God did not. And so it created this sense of extra loss in their life. And I know this may be uncomfortable to talk about, but I guess, I would guess that there are some in this room today, maybe a few in this room today, who have had an experience in life that has been met with failed expectation. You thought God would handle a certain situation a certain way. You had prayed and you had fasted and you had believed and yet it didn't work out the way that you thought. And in my mind, I cannot think of anyone in scripture who seemed more disappointed by the results of their life than John the Baptist. Here is one who gave his entire life start to finish to the propagation of one man, Jesus Christ. John had lived a life completely dedicated to the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. From everything that he wore, his clothing, his diet, his decisions, his travel, all centered around the idea of promoting the fact that Jesus was the Christ. He lived in the wilderness. He confronted religious leaders. He humbled himself to Jesus Christ, even though he was older than him. But something happened in John's life unexpectedly. 
And as he is doing what he is called to do, and he's preaching what he feels called to preach, and he's calling people to repentance, he is thrown into a prison, a prison for doing simply God's work. I think John might have been fine with it initially, and he might have said, I'm not too worried about it. I'm doing God's work. God will rescue me from this prison. But at some point, John realized that nothing is changing in this circumstance, and the reality and the gravity of the situation began to set in. John finds himself sitting in a filthy, detestable, rat-filled jail awaiting the execution for simply preaching the truth, simply for promoting Jesus Christ. And so in his state, in all of John's preaching, in all of John's confidence, he sends word to Jesus Christ. Surely there's been some kind of mistake. Surely this isn't the way it's meant to be. Is this really what I lived for? All I have done to promote, all I have done to to acknowledge the kingdom of God. And in this environment, in this condition that John the Baptist found himself, he was so brave and so bold at once now Doubts begin to creep in. I imagine that he faced a lot of questions and thought about a lot of questions as he replayed the events leading up to his incarceration. Jesus, I knew things would be tough, but this is not what I expected. Jesus, you you do know that we're first cousins. Surely that should account for something. I wonder how many questions that John actually may have asked before he landed on the one simple question to ask Jesus. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? There's something heart-wrenching in that question. Because the prophetic train that John had been riding had come to a screeching halt. And that bold faith that was the hallmark of who John was, was now replaced by insecurity of the unknown. Are you the Christ? Or do we look for another? Have I lived my entire life misguided? Have I lived in the wilderness proclaiming something that was wrong? And during John's whole life, there was no doubt who Jesus was. There was nothing about John's life that even suggested a hint of doubt in his life. So much so that when he would talk about Jesus, he would use the book of Isaiah to describe himself. He would point to the prophecies in the Old Testament, and he would have confidence not just of who Jesus was, but of who he was. He was the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. But John came to a point in his life that I think sometimes many of us come to, where everything we thought we knew is kind of subjected to this doubt and confusion. Because there are things in our life that happen that are not expected. 
And we have put up and we have created this idea of what it means to be a Christian. We have crafted this ideal of what it means that once we say that we're born again, once we experience the power of God, that somehow we create this image of what things are going to be. And how often do those things crumble and we're left with a question Are you the Christ? Or am I looking for something else in my life? Are you the the real answer for my life? Or am I going to have to go somewhere else? And I can't say that I find fault with John's questioning. I I can't really say I wouldn't want to know myself if I was in his shoes. And to some degree, I think we ask that question. Things sometimes end up a little different than we anticipated, and life goes down a little bit of a different road. But word gets to Jesus about the doubt, the disappointment, and the questioning of John the Baptist. And Jesus' response is noteworthy because Jesus could have sent angels as he did for Peter. He could have sent an earthquake as he did in the book of Acts to get John out of prison. He could have struck someone dead in the palace and reset the government so that John could find escape. But he doesn't do those things. He just sends John a word back. He says, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. He's quoting Isaiah 61. He's quoting the passage that Jesus would stand up and read when he began his ministry, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And he says, go tell John that that prophecy that was in Isaiah 61 is coming to pass, and I am the fulfillment of it. The blind are seeing The lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the poor are having the gospel preached to them. John, I know it seems unfair that you never got to witness any of Jesus' earthly ministry. I know that would have been disappointing. You plowed the field for the Messiah to begin his ministry. You stirred up the Pharisees. You baptized Jesus, yet you sit in a hole in the ground. John, I know you have some failed expectations. I know you didn't get to see it all happen. But Jesus wanted John to know one simple thing. John, the same God that spoke about you being the voice crying in the wilderness is the same God who is still true to his word. Regardless of where you sit, regardless of the condition of your life, regardless of the circumstance that were laid out, God said, I am still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus knew that John would be content with just knowing that God was true to his word. 
Oh, hallelujah. The simple point I want you to understand today is that while many times our expectations are not met and we can find ourselves pretty disappointed by the outcomes of life, I want to encourage you to trust God that he will keep his word. God is going to keep his word. While we might not understand why some things turn out the way they do, we can choose to lean on a God who is faithful. Here's what I want you to understand, though, about the faithfulness of God. When I say God is faithful to his word, the faithfulness of God is not measured by our expectations being met. That's not the measuring stick of God's faithfulness. But God's faithfulness is measured by his ability to keep his word. It's about him keeping his word. Isn't that the essence of faithfulness? That you keep your word. In a marriage relationship, you make a vow And so, therefore, you are called faithful in a marriage relationship because you keep your word. You are faithful to your children when you keep your word. God's faithfulness is his ability to keep his word. And what is hard for us to fathom is what we know of our own faithfulness. Our word is conditional. Our word changes from time to time. Our word changes with the circumstance. But God said, I am faithful to the end. I will not change. If I said it, it's going to happen. It's not conditional. It's settled. And so in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, it says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant of mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Oh, hallelujah. Psalm 119 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. So how do we measure the faithfulness of God? I want to offer you two ways to measure the faithfulness of God. First, I find that many times... What I consider failed expectations come from my misunderstanding of the word of God. Specifically, God's timing. While God's faithfulness is measured in him keeping his word, our expectations are too often measured by our sense of timing. We have these expectations of God that he operate within the confines of our time. And I'm telling you today, that is a misunderstanding of the word of God. God's faithfulness is not whether or not he operates within the constraints of our time, but he operates in the constraints of eternity. That's why he's called faithful. Not because he does something immediately in our life. He's called faithful because he keeps his word from generation to generation to generation to generation. Oh, hallelujah. 
And so what I have to understand about the faithfulness of God is that it is not measured within the scope of my lifetime. But God's willingness to keep his word is measured within the time frame of eternity. See, John, stuck in that prison, he wanted God to move, and he wanted to see certain things in his lifetime. But God's faithfulness wasn't demonstrated in what John would see in his lifetime. The same thing goes for Stephen, that great leader in the apostolic, early apostolic church. He wanted no doubt to see some great things in his lifetime. But that wasn't the measurement of God's faithfulness. God's measurement was that he is still healing people. He's still delivering people. He's still helping people. He's still providing salvation for people in every generation. And whether or not we see it doesn't measure God's faithfulness. And so secondly, what I should understand about measuring God's faithfulness is ultimately the weight and the impact of his faithfulness in my life is measured by the power of salvation and not the comfort of this life. Whether he has been faithful is not something I can measure by the comfort of my life. I cannot say that God has been faithful because of what I have in earthly possessions. I, I, I love earthly possessions. I thank God for them. But that is not the measurement of God's faithfulness in my life. Nor can I say that he has not been faithful because of what I suffer in this life. Some will say, I am blessed today because I have health in my body. I have a nice car to drive. I have no problems in this life. And I certainly understand and appreciate the need to be thankful for those things, and I try to be thankful for those things. But let us not confuse the blessing of God with the comfort of life. It's a misunderstanding of God's word when we equate God's faithfulness with the comfort of life. God's goal is not merely to give us comfort in this life. His goal is for his glory to shine through our life. Jesus would begin the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 by saying that those who are blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are hunger, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, those who are merciful. Why would you have to be merciful? Because somebody's done something against you. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who have some trouble in their life. Those are the people who are blessed. Why? Because it's in those circumstances that God begins to receive glory. Those who are blessed are those that have the opportunity for God to receive glory. And Paul, I don't have time to get into it, but you read the New Testament and you realize that Paul talked about this. There, there are times when God will give people money 
specifically to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. But I would also say there are times when God allows us to walk through suffering so that God's kingdom can be established in places. And so if I measure God's faithfulness to simply my comfort in life, I will have a wrong view of God's faithfulness. And I will live with failed expectations in my life. I will feel as if God is not holding up his end of the bargain. Timing and comfort. Those are how we measure eternity and God's glory are how we measure God's faithfulness. And it's measured because he chooses to keep his word. And so... His faithfulness declares in Revelation 21, then he who sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He's not talking about just something happening in this life. He's talking about eternity. And he said, he who overcomes, he who overcomes, not he who lives forever on this earth, but he who overcomes the wages of sin, he who overcomes the pressure of the enemy, he shall, he shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Oh, hallelujah. And I, as challenging as all of those things are, I think it's important to realize that God's faithfulness is also realized in the next verse. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God's faithfulness ultimately will create a time when everything on this earth will be burned up and his faithfulness will be measured by his willingness to keep his word. So what are we going to do in this time that we have? We understand that although his word will ultimately call for justice and judgment, we can have confidence today. As 1 John 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have confidence today that he'll keep his word if you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, 
because he cannot deny himself. We serve a faithful God, a God whose word stands, a God whose word we can stand. And so we understand his word doesn't come back void. His word stands forever. His word doesn't fall to the ground, but it accomplishes what it is sent. Scripture tells us his promises are yea and amen. He has never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He keeps his covenant to a thousand generations. What I realize is he has walked with me through the good and the bad. He's walked with me in spite of my rebellion. He's been a present help in the time of trouble. He's not forsaken me one time. Oh, I've lost track of my relationship with him and I've pushed against him, but his word keeps coming back. Doesn't fall to the ground. He's brought correction to my crooked ways, conviction to my sin-sick heart. The Hebrew root word for the word that's translated faithful or faithfulness in the Old Testament is derived from the word that means to prop, to stay, or support. The use of the word means to stay oneself or to be supported. And hence the word faithful. When it applies to us, means someone, a person can safely lean upon. And there are times when we find ourselves in a prison we didn't expect. There are times when things in our life didn't quite go the way that we wanted or thought they would go. And probably, if we're honest, we've had some times when we've said, are you the Christ? Or am I going to look for something else? Why live this whole life? Why try to be a Christian if these things happen to me? Anybody ever felt that way? Are you the Christ or am I looking for something else? God's word is reverberating in heaven and it echoes to a thousand generations. And it simply says that God is faithful. I don't know what the burden of this message was, but I felt it earlier this week. I don't know if it's a few people, if it's the congregation as a whole. I, I know there are times in life where our Christian life doesn't quite fit. We, we can't reconcile what's happening in our life to God and His Word and His love. And we struggle with that, but I want to appeal to you today 
to trust God's faithfulness. Trust his timing. Trust his sense of eternity. And trust his sense of glory at the end of time. That whatever you walk through in this life, whatever trauma, whatever tragedy, whatever sense of of pressure that you feel because of life, I'm telling you today that God is still faithful. Words of that song are so loud and clear, that old song that says, Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Would you stand with me this morning? You know the words of the chorus, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All that I have need, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Second verse. Kind of leads us through season, summer and winter, springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature and manifold witness thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Where is God most faithful? Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. I believe today, I believe today that someone in this room needs to hear that God is faithful. God is still faithful. God is still faithful. And I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in life, his faithfulness is not measured by this life or the comfort of this life. By what he accomplishes in eternity. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the rock of your word. That when so many, so many things in our life are shifting and moving around and challenging us in different ways where we question you. We question, Lord, sometimes your faithfulness, your truthfulness. We question the word of God. But, Lord, you are challenging us today to put our hope and our trust in an eternal God. 
A God who has promised to forgive our sins and heal our lands. A God who is faithful to walk with us through the good and the bad, who has not forsaken us. The rain, Lord, you said, falls on the just and the unjust. That serving you doesn't, God, cause us to be exempt from the pressures of life or the tragedies of life, Lord. But what you promise is that you are faithful to the end and that what you have for us in eternity is so much better than what we could ever reach for in this life. And I pray, I pray for the strength of God today. I pray for the comfort of God today. God, I know that you're walking with us. God, I know there are some situations represented in this room, God, that don't make sense. They don't make sense, Lord. But I know that you're walking with us. You're walking with us, Lord. And we hold on to that today. Let's worship the Lord. I want you to extend your hands if you feel comfortable. I want you to sing from your heart today. We're going to worship the Lord. I want you to worship him like it's the first time you've worshiped him. That you're just thanking him for who he is, for forgiving your sins, for bringing mercy into your life every day. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.